We're finishing up our sermon series, The Witnesses of the Resurrection, uh, today. Now, I reserve the right to come back to this next year because there's more resurrection appearances that we haven't had the opportunity uh, to look at. But we're going to finish up today. Next week is Pentecost. I want to encourage you, if you're in town, please be with us. If you're out of town, uh, join with us on YouTube. It, uh, one of my mentors, Reverend Martin Case, used to say, Pentecost is the most important day in the Christian calendar. Now you hear that and you go, wait a minute, Christmas. <laughs> what, about, what about Good Friday, right? That's the heart of our faith that Christ died for us. What about Easter? And, it, and his point was this, if there is no Pentecost, the encouragement and the power of the Holy Spirit, those believers would not have gone out and told the good news and nobody would have known about those other days. It's a great day in the life of our church to celebrate at Pentecost. So I hope you're here next week uh, to be a part of those services or join us online. So we're going to talk together about Thomas. And we're not going to really talk about his doubts because we've talked about that before. You might have thought, well, why didn't you talk about doubt when, you, when we looked at Thomas? Because it's already happened and it's going to happen again. If you remember back in Luke's gospel, even the disciples who see, they're doubting. Jesus critiques those on the road to Emmaus who have struggles believing. And then in Matthew's gospel as well, in Galilee, they are doubting again. It is a common struggle that comes to most of us. Most of the saints of God have long, dark nights of the soul. We just sang it in our first hymn this morning. Many of us have doubts and fears, and so we stand on the promises of God, the truth of Jesus Christ, dead and resurrected for us. So what do we need to see here then? What is it we need to see uh, about who Jesus is, about who we are, but also to ask that question as we have throughout this series, what is it that makes the light come on for Thomas? For him to have belief, what was it that pushed him over the edge? We've seen it with other people. It's the voice of Jesus calling uh, 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 people by their names. It's the promises. It's the way the tomb was arranged. It's the body of Jesus. What is it here for Thomas that helps the light come on? Because it certainly is not the testimony of these disciples. Should have been. I mean, think about that. He's done three years of life with these men. He loves them, is loved by them, and they give him their testimony. These are people, if you just go back a chapter or two in John's gospel, that he said to them, I'm ready to go die with you, and I'm ready to go die with Jesus. Let's go with Jesus and die. He's trusted his life to these disciples. So they give their testimony, but it's not enough. Not unless I see, not unless I touch. And for the other disciples, they wrestled with the same things. It's not just Thomas. So what do we see here? What do we notice first and foremost about our Savior? I want to give you three words this morning for us to look at. The first word is patience. Jesus' response to Thomas here speaks of his great patience with him and with us when we come with our doubts 
and our questions. Jesus has given himself on Calvary for Thomas. He's shown up to the other disciples and to the women and to those on the road to Emmaus. Their testimony should have been enough. And when Thomas comes with his doubts and he says it beforehand and then here again, you would think Jesus would say, come on, Thomas. But that's not what we get. Reach here and reach here. Oh, the great patience of God for Thomas and for us when we have doubts and when we question. Um, how is it today? Then you need to be reminded of that. It's interesting, one of the other disciples in his epistles, Peter would say, God was patient in the days of Noah. Not only does he say that God, the patience of God kept waiting even in the days of Noah, but then he goes on to say later, the Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness, but God is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Now listen, the patience of God is not forever, but it is long-suffering. This is the testimony of the one who tried Jesus' patience by not believing even after testimony and testimony and testimony. And he could say to us, you can count on him to be patient with you. If you've been running, you've been struggling, you have questions, you have doubts, Jesus put his patience on display with Thomas and he will do that with you. But the second word comes up, and we've talked about it before, so I won't take a lot of time this morning, but the second word is divinity. The divinity of Jesus, his deity, is celebrated in verse 28. Not only do we see his great patience, but we also see who he is. The first bookend of the Gospel of John, you remember well in chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, and also verse 14, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, verse 14, and the word became flesh. He begins his gospel. The first bookend, the first word is the word. God himself, the very son of God, has become one of us. And Thomas's moment, let's say that again, doubting Thomas's moment, to me, is the other bookend. It's, it's the case he's making for his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and he was enfleshed. And what is it that Thomas does when he sees Jesus? He says, my Lord and my God. You don't say that. I mean, the Caesars might have played around with that. Paganism might have played around with it. But nobody meant that. That this one enfleshed is God himself, my Lord and my God. God. It is, I think, the climax of this whole gospel. It is the other book, and chapter, chapter 21 really is an epilogue to this gospel. And so right after it, John drops the mic. He gives his purpose statement, as Renee talked about. These things have been written so that you might believe, and by believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, you might have life, right after the Thomas statement. These are the bookends of the gospel. The deity, the divinity of Christ, this one in flesh for us. F.F. Bruce would say, the Bible expositor and commentator, Thomas may have come slower to faith than others, but the words he expressed went beyond any that others had used. 
This is my Lord and my God. There was a governor that served kind of in that area, nearby 10, 20, 30 years later for the Romans. And he was writing to another uh, leader, just trying to get some help with these Christians. And he was just kind of dumbfounded. These, these Christians, they don't steal. They don't commit adultery. Uh, they don't break their word. But also, and he couldn't get his head around it, they sing about this man who they claimed to be God. They were known as people who said, my Lord and my God. And he couldn't get his head around that. John makes Thomas the key witness to that fact. The Word was God, and the Word has become flesh. Lastly, it's this word love. You could use character, you could use heart, but the third thing we see, we not only see the patience of God, we see the divinity of Christ, but you see the love of Jesus here uh, with Thomas, uh, that God himself, and that's, it's enough. We just heard it sung, uh, that Jesus died. Uh, There's the love of God. I'm not going to believe till I see the imprints, till I see the place of the nails. And when he saw it, what a picture. Here's the picture that the one who is the word of God has been scarred for you. Throughout the gospel of John, we we see Jesus crying. We see him frustrated. We see him uh, thirsty. We see him so many things that we experienced. But then ultimately, and the heart of it is, we see him Scarred. A man wrote a poem after World War I, after the Great War, and the poem was entitled, Jesus of the Scars, and I want to read the last line to that poem. The other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to a throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak, and not a God has wounds but thou alone. I pray we never know emotionally, relationally, all that Jesus was scarred by throughout his life, but especially on the cross. But you and I have some idea of physically what he went through. That God loved us so much that he went through all of that as well as the mystery of bearing our sins for us. It's the scars It's by his stripes we are healed. And that's what it was for Thomas. It wasn't his voice. It wasn't the promises. It wasn't the way the empty tomb was set up like it was earlier in John. It was the scars. Put your hands on my hands. Put your hands in my side. There is the love of God. One who was scarred for us. This past weekend, um, many of you have been blessed by the ministry of Tim Keller, a reformed preacher and writer. And when he speaks of the gospel, this is what he'll routinely say. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared to believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. There's Thomas 
seeing the one that they've talked about, and he scarred, the one who took scars for him and for his redemption. Oh, the love of God for us. So how is it you and I then are to respond to this great patience of Jesus, to his divinity, to his great love? What is, what is it we learn? Because that's, that's what makes the light come on for Thomas. If I can see the scars, if I can see the imprints, that's what turns uh, the light on for Thomas. How is it you and I? Maybe there's a word for us there. Maybe it's a question. It's a tough question. Do I have scars that would wake somebody up to Jesus? Do I have scars in my life that would be clear to others that I am his? Dudes love scars, right? If you ever saw the Jaws movie, that's all they talked about in one scene, those fishermen just showing off different scars. I've had several preacher stories where I love to tell you, and I I have to be careful because the old man's still upset about it, but I bounced his 1960 Ford Falcon 24 days before it became became an antique uh, off a couple of trees because somebody came in my lane, and, and, and the keys weren't here up in the steering column. The keys for that car were down here at the bottom left dash, just about knee height. Dudes, any of y'all want to see my knee after service? I'll show you the scars that I got from that one. I think I told you one time, because I grew up outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I ran with a tough crowd. Actually, you can still see the faint scar here. I actually got shot with a bow and arrow at the age of seven. I ran with a rough crowd. I'll tell you that story some other time. Uh, But you can also see on the hand, you may be even to see it, a good two-inch scar right here. Another tough moment, I was washing dishes Apparently, it dropped a glass, and it had broken, and because of the soap suds, I reached down, and I got that one right there. Um, and really, just, it was very traumatic, and so I just don't wash dishes anymore because <laughs> I don't, you know, really, I can't do any chores because I don't want to get triggered. <laughs> I look at my life, and I ask the question, if this word, and this is partly what the word means, I want to I see the imprint on his hands, but it also means pattern or example or model. Pattern, example, or model. And this is the model and pattern in scripture, in scripture. If you and I are in Christ, and if we don't let the world put its mark and model on us, then the world's pattern is that it will put another mark on us. It will imprint us and it will scar us. You see in John's gospel earlier, Jesus said in this world you will have trouble. There's talk of the world hating him and hating us. Paul writes to Timothy that indeed all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You saw how Bryant looked at me earlier. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) That was great. That was great. Maybe it's not physical in the West. Maybe it's emotional. Maybe it's worldly pressure. Maybe it's relationships with family or friends. John talks in one, of his, in one of his epistles for believers not to be surprised when the world hates you, when you and I make a stand for Jesus Christ and how we love and how we live and what we will do and what we will not do. Uh, there can be scars. Those who take up their cross typically get a scar or two. 
Again, I grew up in Pennsylvania. If you're 40 years old and you've been playing hockey all your life and you have all your teeth, you're playing the game wrong. <laughs> if you're loving like Jesus loves, if you're standing up for the truth of the gospel with your kids or grandkids, uh, if you're living the life of Jesus in this world, you're going to have you're going to have some scars to show for that. Um, and John, we're told through church history, was probably boiled in oil and miraculously survived that. We know he was exiled and pay a price for that. The ultimate price might have been in the book of Acts, losing his brother, the first of the disciples named, to, to have died for their faith, scarred because of taking up the cross for Christ. This past week, uh, Sarah and I and several of y'all are in the um, Bible track at Wesley Biblical Seminary. We'll talk more about that over the summer, but it's a great way to go through the whole Bible over nine months. You can, you can do it online. You can do it in person at the seminary. But this was our last week. We were on, on the book of Revelation, and I was already thinking about talking about Polycarp today, one of the disciples of John, and we talked about him a little bit in the class this week as he names the seven churches in the book of Revelation one of them is, is, the, is the church in the city where one of John's disciples, Polycarp, uh, was a bishop. A bishop who had scars, who was led late in age, uh, arrested, and was led to his death. And some of the things that church history says about his uh, martyrdom, I just want to read one or two to you. But he was asked to recount his faith, and he said, 86 years I have served Jesus and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior now? They threatened him to kill him with wild animals, and after that didn't uh, scare him or startle him. Then they threatened to kill him with fire, and it's reported that he said, you threatened me with fire which burns for an hour and then is extinguished, but you know nothing of the fire of the coming judgment and eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. Why are you waiting? Bring on whatever you want. There's even stories that he wouldn't burn. And uh, he looked as though his skin, not burning, looked like baking bread. And even there was a smell of incense when he died. And so they just stabbed him. And there even is another report that miraculously, as he bled, it put out the fire that they tried to kill him with. But he was scarred for his faith. I was talking with Dr. Gary Cockrell, who's come to teach at our uh, uh, church a few times. His daughter is one of the missionaries we support just north, I can't tell you where, but north of Syria and Iraq and lives in a 95 plus percent culture where there's open persecution. They're going to be with us in July uh, to come talk with our church and they will tell you that there are people in their underground church routinely, routinely scarred uh, because they believe in Jesus Christ. If you and I take up our cross there's going to be that for us. Maybe it's not physical. Maybe we're ostracized. Maybe it's relational. Uh, maybe it's that kind of, of, of struggle. But so often we want to check our lives to say, Lord, can you... Look, that's, it's a hard thing to do to be pushed out. It's a hard thing to do to be talked about. Sarah and I were watching a, a, a guy that I really like, Bill Maloney, did a, a Facebook Live concert last night, Christian artist. And one of the lines says, you're going to come around here and say those kinds of things. Uh, you better be ready to take a few on the chin. If you talk about sin and redemption, you better wear your thicker skin. And so when people ask us why we believe and what we believe, 
and when we stretch and when we serve and we give sacrificially, uh, when we stand up for truth with our kids and our grandkids, there is going to be scars. And when you get to looking at Thomas's life, uh, we're reminded that that's, that's his life. Church history tells us that, um, that he was scarred, went to India, shared the gospel, and they killed him for it. Uh, but he had bumped into the one who was scarred for him, and that was enough. How is it you and I need to respond to the patience of God? It is long-suffering. It's not forever. Do you need to respond if you've been running or had questions and he's been so patient with you? Do you need to respond to him today? Thomas says, my Lord and my God. Maybe for the first time you need to say that to the Lord. Ben or I or anybody here would love to pray with you after the service about that. Do you need another sign of the love of God for you? He was scarred. And church, how is it? We need to take up our cross so that, yeah, we're going to take a few on the chin, but it's going to be clear to this world whose we are. We are people who live to love like Jesus and to live like Jesus. Let's pray about that. Father, we thank you for this, your word, as we see Jesus so patient with Thomas and with others. Father, however we need to respond to this, your word, we ask your Holy Spirit would help us this morning to receive a new a word, maybe to be called back into fellowship with you, maybe for the first time that we've never yielded our lives and said, you are God, not me. You are the Lord, not me. Father, if we need to be reminded again, and we've got so much going on in life and so many things that have injured us, Help us to see again your hands and feet and your side and to know that your love is enough. Encourage us this day. Father, as well, would you send your Holy Spirit to help us look, help us to look clearly at our own lives, that we might count the cost, that we might take up our cross, that we might die daily, knowing that you can use those places of hurt those places of rejection, to turn the light on. Father, give us that hope. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.